Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. But I'm really excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, who's enjoying this series? Hidden, uh, hidden sin, crouching dragons, crouching sin, hidden dragons, crouching sin. And uh, it's it's been awesome. And uh, you know, I'm I, I have to be honest. I'm really thankful to to serve a, a pastor in a church who's not afraid to get people out of their comfort zone. Uh, has anyone been challenged by this, by this series? Anybody? Learn something, grown. Uh, I, I know when we talk about sin, I know as this series was approaching, I, I was tempted inside to, to really, there was a part of me in the back of my mind that was like, ah, why are we preaching on sin? It's just, it gets uncomfortable. And, you know, why can't we just preach happy things, you know? And, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that, uh, you know, my pastor balances me out where I'd want to just, you know, be maybe a, a more of a, a smiling Joel Osteen all the time, you know. We, we need to be real, and we need to share the truth with people. And, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes 3 says that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And, uh, and I think that it's important that we don't try to avoid the, the pain. And we, we don't try to avoid the, the, the confrontation with sin and our, our the, the parts of us that, that don't please God. We can't avoid that. And I know in our culture, and, and I know even my own personal self, I have this tendency to want to avoid those, uh, you know, challenging conversations and to confront someone uh, in the workplace, uh, to confront my wife on something, to, to be transparent with, with a brother in Christ and tell him about my struggles. There's a lot of things that I may not want to have those challenging conversations. And it's important that in life we don't avoid these things, but we do confront them and we embrace the facts of the matter. And we're, we're transparent with God and with each other. And so I'm grateful for this series and grateful for my pastor and, and, uh, and grateful for this church that we, we don't try to airbrush things in life, but we, we tell it like it really is and the way the Bible really, uh, really brings it. And so I'm really grateful for that. Is anyone else? All right. So just to recap, we've talked uh, about uh, a few different series or uh, messages in the series already. The first one, Ben started off with introducing with fatal attraction and uh, spoke about the sin of Achan and how, uh, how God responded to that sin of, uh, of Achan uh, within the people of Israel and, uh, and, and the effects of that sin on the body there. Uh, a couple weeks ago, he spoke about, uh, he defined sin from Scripture. Scriptural references talking about exactly what sin is. And even ways to overcome sin. And then last week was great. I actually wasn't here for it, but listened to it later. And uh, my wife and I are enjoying a, a great weekend at the beach. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but caught up and uh, heard Pastor Ben preaching. It was really awesome. Uh, talking about James 1. And uh, I think that was so insightful uh, hearing about how, uh, how sin approaches and, and how we're enticed by our own desires. It's amazing when you think about how deeply that, that, that's rooted. You know, we think about sin, like Pastor Ben said, as the action but it starts so much further behind that in, in our hearts and what leads up to that and, and in our beliefs and in our mind. And so really insightful message last week. And so I'm excited to speak with you guys today. And uh, what we're going to talk about today is uh, as we talk about sin, you know, we can't avoid this matter of sin. It has to be something that, that's, that we're honest about and sincere about with God. And so when we talk about you know, the way that God dealt with sin in Achan, and, I mean, really, Achan was, I mean, he got killed because of his sin and his family. And, and it was, it really seems severe. But 
I, I, I'm, I was just reminded that as I look at that, and some people who don't understand God and don't understand his character will look at that and, and say, gosh, that's just so harsh. Uh, but, but God did this out of love. God does this out of love, that, that he is so passionate about his people's purity and their righteousness and the, and the fact that they can walk in a destiny and fulfillment and satisfaction of living with him, that he's willing to do that, not just to Achan, but to his own son. We can't forget that, that he didn't put Achan and his family through anything that he would not have done to his own son. Out of love. And when we see God through this lens of faith, faith that he is good, faith that he does love you, and a faith that he is a provider, and he is a healer, and he does have your best interest in mind, when we begin to look at life and circumstances and even our own sin through that lens of faith, we really understand the character of God and what he truly wants for us. And it changes your whole mindset on things and how you interpret the scripture and how you interpret what you're going through in your life and what you've been through. And so today I'm excited to talk with you about, uh, about repentance, about repenting from sin as we've been honest about our sin and we've maybe allowed God in the last few weeks to say, God, what is there in me that needs to be addressed? If we've really been honest during these last few weeks, I hope and I pray for myself as well that, that we've really been honest, say, God, this isn't for my spouse. This isn't for my neighbor, for my mom. This isn't for anybody else but me. What in me needs to be addressed, needs to be changed? Hopefully you've taken time to pray that with sincerity. And my wife and I were talking about when we pray, like, God, I'll do anything you want. I'll do anything you want. Just tell me. Sometimes we're not always very sincere about that, right? I mean, anything, like move to the other side of the globe, I really like San Diego, you know, or, or to give up something. I mean, really give it up. What if God called you to give up beer forever? What if he did? What if he called you to a life of celibacy? What if, he, what if he called you to stand up on the table at work and preach the gospel? I don't know what he'd call you to do, but are you really willing to do anything? My wife and I looked at each other and said, man, we want to pray that with sincerity. That would be really challenging. But in the same way, I want to pray that prayer. God, look at me like David prayed. Look at my heart, God. What is there in me that you want to reveal that I need to submit to you, that I need to, to, to repent from? And I want to be sincere about it and allow God to work in me. So if you haven't done that through the series, today's a great day. This week's a great week to begin to really search inwardly and say, okay, God, let's, 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 let's confront this sin in my life. What is it? Not what, what does my buddy say is the sin that I should address or, or that I shouldn't address. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. But God, what do you say? And so we need to have those transparent conversations. And so what is true repentance? What is true repentance? I want to define it real quickly. Um, let's start first with what repentance is not. Uh, there's a few things I'll list off here, but true repentance from sin is not feeling bad. True repentance is not worldly sorrow. It's not just feeling bad. The Bible calls that worldly sorrow. It's not getting caught, but rather it's coming clean. Sometimes in the courtroom, you can deny your sin and maybe get off for it and say, nope, nope, didn't do it. 
can't prove it. Denying sin isn't repentance. We want to diminish our sin. Oh, it's not that big of a deal, and I, it's not, nothing compared to my buddy, man. That guy's a sinner. We want to compare. It's not managing sin. Well, I look at porn less than I did, less than my buddy does. I only get angry sometimes. And the next thing we do is we want to blame others and cast blame on someone else. Well, I only got angry because she made me angry. It's not my fault. They made me angry. But God says that his spirit gives us self-control. So whose fault is it? We can't excuse our sin. That's not repentance either. All these things we want to do to try to make ourselves feel better. Again, it comes back to that. I just want to, like, feel good about myself. I want to feel justified. And, and that's, that's not what God's looking for. That's not what God's looking for. When we look at someone like David, who was a man after God's own heart, he was a murderer and an adulterer. How is he a man after God's own heart? He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for those that are willing to confess, I'm screwed up. I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. I know this is in me, and God, I rely on you. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for your perfection. Christianity is the only religion, the only world religion that says you don't have to work for your salvation. You don't have to achieve some higher level of thinking. You don't have to live by a certain set of rules. You don't. Some of you are like, wait, what are you talking about? I don't have to live by rules? No, you don't. That's not what Christianity is about. It's not about the rules. Some people come into church and they say that, man, I want to I come in and, and, you know, be like these Christians and, and come in so I'll, I'll, I'll say the things they say and I'll, I'll act the way they do. And it's about the rules and about the behaviors. And that's not what it's about. It's not. And, and you will end up adhering to the laws of God and the commands of God, but not for the sake of your salvation. That's not what it is. You're saved first by belief and faith in God. And then out of that salvation, wait, you're saying that all of my sins in the future and all the sins in the past are wiped clean? When we grasp that, God, whatever you say, I'm yours. Tell me what to do. I want to serve you. And it's a res- the obedience is a response to God's love and forgiveness. He doesn't forgive us because we obey. And so... We need to be honest with God and know that we've messed up. That's all God's looking for is just to say, I know I've screwed up and, and I've got issues I'm dealing with, but God, come and help me be holy. Help me be righteous like you and begin to follow God. And so I want to talk to you today about true repentance. The word it means, uh, to repent means, uh, it comes from a Greek word, metanoeo. Uh, meta meaning to change and noeo meaning that your mind or your thoughts and your knowledge, and really means to change your mind. When you repent, it's a whole change in your mind. That's why the Bible says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your whole mindset changes, and in context, it is inextricably tied to a change, therefore, in your actions, in your behavior, in your direction. So true repentance is a change in your minds, in your thought, followed by a change in your behavior. And in your actions. That's why the Bible says to bear fruit worthy of repentance. I want to read with you uh, uh, from Luke 7. Luke 7, starting in verse 36. 
the scripture is really powerful, and uh, my wife and I were reading it earlier this week, and I feel like we were just getting weepy reading it, so it's, uh, it, it is powerful. You let, the, let it sink in the story here, but I'm going to read through it here, and then we'll go ahead and pray. Uh, start in verse 36, Luke 7, verse 36. If you're there, say, I'm there. Like two people there, all right. Anyone bring your Bible? Who brought a Bible in today? Anybody? Even a digital one. Come on, guys, it's okay. Someone's got to have a Bible in here somewhere. Just need to lean over and look at someone else's Bible. Yeah, someone's there. Come on. All right. Luke 7, verse 36, I'm going to begin to read. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a, what? Sinner. Gosh, one of those. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, inwardly said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would have known who, who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered and said, oh, say it, teacher. A certain money lender who uh, had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And, and he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, again, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus, thank you, God, for this amazing example. This amazing example, Father. And I thank you, God, for this time we have together. I thank you for the series, God. I thank you that you challenge us, Lord, that, that you want us to embrace the pain of knowing that we've grieved you in areas of our lives. And, Lord, you are waiting for us to come contrite and broken and return to you and you want to give us peace and you want to give us forgiveness god you're anxiously awaiting and there's no amount of there's no amount of comfort we can bring ourselves in trying to justify ourselves lord than to accept the forgiveness that you lovingly and graciously offer us god so i pray that you would help us all today to understand 
Lord, how much you love us. Would that truth come out today? And would your word uh, speak to your people today through me? God, let your name be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. So powerful, powerful story. I want to dive into this just for a minute. Um, because for me, I'm a visual person, and so sometimes it, it, it helps me to just sit on a story and read it through like a few times and even research some of the words and, and really dive in to understand what, what's going on here. I mean, sometimes to put it in a, a culturally relevant situation to, to get a visual idea of what that really looked like. Uh, you know, I know writing today is, you know, there's a lot of details. My, my wife is a writer, and and you can go in and paint a picture, and we don't always get a chance to see that in the Bible. Um, but it's sometimes for me, it's kind of fun to, to think about what that really looked like. And so as we look at the story, we see that the, a Pharisee asked Jesus to eat with them. And he went in to the Pharisee's house. And again, Pharisees, these are the religious leaders. These are the, I mean, it's almost like a, like a theocracy in a way. They're very politically motivated, and they're, very, they're, uh, uh, they're community leaders and also religious leaders. And so he invites Jesus to come in and, hey, come on, eat with me. I want to talk to you. I want to get to know you a little bit. And I don't know his motives. We can only assume from what we read here the way he really thinks about Jesus. So as we look at this, it says that he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And, and as we, I, I always think about a table in my house. You know, you sit down in a chair, and you, but this is different. This, in the, in the, in the culture, I mean, it, it was reclining. Maybe something like this. Like reclining at a table. I mean, they were just hanging out. The table wasn't tall like our tables are. They were, they were laid out like this. And they would recline at the table like this. And then the woman found out Jesus is in there. This is a sinner. Everyone knows she's a sinner. She's known as a sinner. I I don't know who she is. Prostitute? I I, I have no idea. I mean, historians were guessing and there's assumptions, but I don't know. It doesn't matter. At this point, she's a sinner. You know that. So she's probably a lot like you and me. But she comes up behind Jesus. She comes up behind him, not up to his front, not to the side. She comes up behind him in all humility and even shame. She comes up behind him and goes not to his head, not to tap him on the shoulder, goes to his feet. Now, she, she wasn't invited. She, she probably wasn't welcome. This is the Pharisee's house. She didn't care. I know that's where Jesus is. That's where I need to get. She didn't care. Who else was there? Who else was talking? The the Pharisee himself, the owner of the house. I don't care what they think. I need to get to Jesus. And they're judging her, and she didn't care. She's weeping at Jesus' feet. Now, as we see this picture of him laying down or reclining, and she's up there, she comes up behind him and starts weeping on his feet. I mean, just picture that. And I know some of you, and hopefully not many of you, some you know those like feet people? You know what I'm talking about? I'm not a foot person. Some of you are just weirdos. I mean, like, like feet. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Do not raise your hand. Don't make noises. I don't want to hear about it. You're just, just weird. Some people are feet people, and they like feet, okay? 
the Bible says that Jesus was nothing to be desired. I don't even imagine he had good feet anyway. Okay, but this is this is back in, in this era and in that region, it, it was very dusty, very dirty, and they would have sandals on. And anytime you'd be walking through town, your feet would get really dirty. Okay, so I don't even care if you're a foot person; it was gnarly, gross feet back then. They didn't have foot people back then. Okay, it was sick. It was gross. And don't think because it's Jesus, though, he probably had really good smelling clean feet. No. No. He had dirty, nasty feet, too, okay? Let's just be honest. So do you. You stink, too. I just, feet aren't pretty. And so he has dusty feet, takes his sandals off, and they're dirty. And it was a common courtesy back then to, to provide water to wash your feet as you entered someone else's house, especially a Pharisee would know that. No, he didn't provide any water. Jesus' dirty feet, he's reclining at the table. Jesus didn't say anything about it. But this woman walks up to his dirty, nasty feet and just weeps on him and takes her hair and starts wiping his feet, weeping over his feet. It's, it's an amazing picture of brokenness. And she brings an alabaster jar. Imagine this is like the, the, the Tiffany jar. Alabaster was a, a pale stone. It was very costly. And other, other gospels describe that, that ointment as pure nard. Very costly, very expensive. And she begins to dump this perfume and pour it over his feet and anoint him. And she was even criticized for it in the other gospels. You read about how she was criticized because it was so costly and expensive that it seemed like a waste. How could she do that? And as she's doing this, Jesus lets her do it, just sits there, and you see, you know, you see the Pharisee looking over like, some prophet he is, <laughs> he doesn't know he's even touching his feet, she, she, he's a sinner, he's thinking this to himself, and Jesus lets her continue to wash his feet, Simon, I want to talk to you, I have something to share with you, and as she's over there weeping and washing his feet, he's talking to the Pharisee, and explains who would love that that lender more, well, the one who was forgiven the most. And begins to illustrate this picture. It, it's an amazing story. And then he said, do you see this woman who's at my feet? You didn't provide me water. You didn't provide me oil for my head. And she's putting an ointment, pure nard, on my feet. It's an amazing picture of someone that, the, the difference between this Pharisee who questioned God, who questioned the Son of Man, and said, ah, if he's really a prophet, yeah, obviously he's not. Versus this woman who didn't care what anyone else thought, who comes to his feet and weeps over her own sin. It's an amazing picture. I want to talk to you today about true repentance. When we know, when we confront our sin, when we recognize our sin, what is true repentance look like? that change of mindset and the behavior that follows. Number one, true repentance will cost you something. True repentance is going to cost you something. When you want to follow Jesus, when, you wanna, when you're confronted with your sin, if you want to repent from that, it's going to cost you something. It will. That's why the Bible says that if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, gouge it out. Get violent in order to avoid sin. 
it's going to cost you something. I know in my life, everyone, I mean, there's lots of people in this room that could testify about how when they wanted to change their life, when their mindset changed, they said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't care what I did yesterday and beyond. Today, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Things change. Your relationships will change. I'm not saying you're going to give up all your friends, but you may not be hanging out with them at the club on the weekends anymore. It's going to change. Your relationships are going to change. My wife was telling me or reminding me about when she gave her life to Jesus, how, man, she gave up her her sorority, the cheerleading team, her boyfriend at the time. It just, everything changed because that's where she found her identity was in those things. What is it you're holding on to that needs to be cut off? You're going to have to give up something in order to truly follow Jesus and repent of your sin. I've talked to a few people this week who, who had to actually get rid of things in their home. More than one person this week had to get rid of things in their home because it reminds me of a past relationship. I want to rid myself of that and cut it off. You're going to have to sacrifice things. If you're going to serve a church, it's going to cost you time and energy and effort. It's going to cost you something. Your identity, your dreams, it's going to cost you something. And sometimes we need to give up on our dreams in order to follow the one that God's provided. And sometimes that's hard to do. For a long time, I wanted to be a few things, one of which was a police officer. And, and as you begin to grow in your relationship with God, he begins to reveal his true plans for you. And sometimes you held so tightly onto this one thing, this one individual, this one idea that to give that up is hard, but it's unto something better, much better. When we're following the creator who's got a much better destiny in store. That's why Achan had to be, had to be killed so that they could move into a much greater destiny. He was so concerned about the immediate, like, this is what I want. And I, I don't know if I can trust God for all the treasures to come. I'll just take what I can right now. Because you didn't really trust God. And it, but true repentance is going to cost you something. That's why the Bible says you have to bear fruit worthy of repentance. It's going to cost you something. Number two, uh, two, true repentance will seek to serve others. Much like this woman, true repentance is going to seek to serve others. And this is hard because I know that a lot of people when they get, uh, when they give their lives to Jesus and they say, I want to follow you, God. They're dealing with so much internally, like all this sin, and I've got to clean up my life. And no, that's good. Do it by all means. But you can't neglect the calling to serve. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and lay my life down as a ransom for many. And so if we truly want to repent of our sin and walk with God, it's going to have to come in the fruit of service to serve your family, to serve your church, serve your community. Much like this woman served Jesus and gave herself to him, unlike the Pharisee who didn't serve Jesus the way he could have or should have. But if we truly want to repent of our sin, we need to serve others. And again, it goes back to that selfish mindset that, that when you're walking in a life of sin, when you're walking in a life that's, that's trying to serve yourself and feel good and fulfill my wants and my needs, well, because the pornography makes me feel good or because the lying helps me to control other people and that feels good, 
or the gossiping because I know more than everybody else and it feels good to talk about it. But whatever it is, I don't know what your sin is. But sin is inherently self-serving. And as you try to give those things up, it's imperative that you not just look at that thing and say, don't sin, don't sin, stop that. Just resist that thing there and, and it's just bad and stop. And you're just focused on that and still on yourself. I've got to get myself right, myself clean, and I've got to do this and that and the sin in myself. And, and where's your focus at? Get it off yourself. Yes, get rid of that sin and then go serve someone else over here. Help them get through their sin. Help them, edify them, grow them, teach someone else, serve someone else. Get the focus off of yourself if you truly want to repent. True repentance serves someone else. You've got to refocus off of yourself. Number three, true repentance lives for an audience of one. True repentance lives for an audience of one. And this woman, again, she walked straight into the Pharisee's house. She didn't care who was there. She didn't care what anyone else thought about her. And when we're dealing with our sin, we so oftentimes want to compare well, what, what, is, what does their sin look like? Well, I'm, I guess I'm better than them. Or what does someone else's righteousness look like? And, oh, man, I want to get to be like that person. We live for an audience of one. And I obey my pastor because my God says to. And I submit to my wife because my God says to. And I submit and I, and I, and I, and I lay my life down for my wife because my, my God says to. And I lead her and my kids because my God says to. And I'm faithful at work because my God says to do all things as unto Christ. And it may not make sense to the rest of the world. Well, so-and-so said that, you know, that was for back then, and I don't care what so-and-so said. I don't care. What does the Bible say? What does God say? Who are you living for? How does God define your relationships? How does God define the way you spend your time at work? You've got to live for an audience of one. The Pharisee was more concerned about his reputation amongst men. Even looking at Jesus, like, man, if he knew, he wouldn't do that. Because that's his concern, his reputation. You have to wonder, like, why do you even invite Jesus in there, you know? But this woman was only concerned about Jesus. Number four, true repentance brings peace. True repentance brings peace. And, and this is huge because I, I know that for myself, I've walked in sin. I've walked with God. And when you truly live for God, when you are doing things right, like the Bible says, if you do, not do, if you, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And it feels so good. Just to know that my wife can go through my web history. She has all my passwords. I've got all hers too. It feels so good when my boss walks up behind me that I'm not concerned about whether or not I'm using my time well. Yes, I've been working hard. Here's what I've done. I'm not worried. Some of us, we, the boss comes up, oh, well, I was doing this thing, and no, I wasn't on eBay. I was, you know, doing other stuff, and no, that was, wasn't eHarmony. It was, you know, QuickBooks or something, Niner. 
But when you have integrity, when you're doing things right, you've got so much peace. I'm not saying it won't make mistakes. I mean, my wife, my pastor, they know I screw up all the time. My wife would call me out later. She'd be like, hey, listen, you said this and that, and that was messed up. Like, oh, darn, I screwed up. I'm going to make mistakes, but I know I'm not hiding sin anymore. I, I know that I'm doing things right. And I'm not perfect by any means, but, but when, you, when you're walking and you repent of those things, there's nothing to hide anymore. I know that when my friends, Cody, could ask me today, how's your purity? Man, thank you for asking, Cody. Let's have a transparent conversation about that. I feel good about that. Let's do it. But, man, when you're walking in sin, there's no peace. There's that saying that says, you know, man, oh, gosh, I can't believe you did that. And how can you sleep at night? Who's heard that? How can you sleep at night? Pastor Ben tells this, this story of the study that says when people, uh, in, in, when they're being interrogated or when they're uh, going through trial, when they confess and say, yes, I did it, I'm guilty, here's what happened, and they just let it all out, man, sometimes they'll just go and, and they'll go to sleep because they haven't slept well for all this time, the turmoil and the lack of peace. It, but when, we're, when, when, it's, when it's God and he's bringing true repentance, man, there's peace. And some of you in this room don't have that peace. Some of you don't because you haven't had that tr transparent conversation, because you haven't had that confession. You haven't turned away from that sin. And sometimes you can't unless you have that conversation, unless you confess it. Pastor Ben a couple weeks ago talked about ways to overcome sin. Go back, listen to it. There's, there are things you can do to overcome your sin. There's practical things you can do that I'm not going to get into right now. The last thing is this, my last point. Uh, if the team wants to come up. Uh, the last point here, number five. True repentance leaves a legacy. True repentance leaves a legacy. This story was really impactful to those who, who witnessed it. it. It's in all four of the, of the Gospels. And in one of the other versions of the story, which they're all told a little bit differently, Mark 14.9 says that, that Jesus said about this woman, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. The gospel, the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ overcoming sin, overcoming death. And 2,000 years later, we're talking about this woman. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this woman. This is, I mean, it's powerful. And, and I can't tell you how many people that I talk to and myself as well. That you were raised in a certain home with a certain mindset, a certain culture, a certain city. You've been through things in your life. Maybe you didn't have a good godly father or parents in general. Maybe you've suffered through bad marriages or abuse. I don't know what you've been through. But I know that today, all of that can change. I strive to overcome every sin in my life <clears throat> because I have three beautiful children. And I know that if I can be the foundation for them, they won't have to go through what I've been through. They may not have to fight that battle like I have. 
I've talked to people that are addicts to, to lust and, and to other addictions. Well, my, my grandpa did it, and, and my dad did it, and, and, and I'm doing it. It can stop right now. The gossiping, the anger, the, the dysfunction. You can change a legacy for years to come. Even if it's not your own kids, even if it's the youth here at church, you can instill a whole new legacy that will affect generations to come. Just like sin affects others around you, your family, your friends, your church, your community, in the same way, your righteousness, your victory in Jesus will change future lineage, will change generations, will affect those around you. And now when you've been transparent, you've overcome sin, and you've seen victory, your marriage is healed. When we're walking uprightly for Christ and we're, we're repenting of our sin, now you can begin to lift someone else up and have them do the same thing. True repentance is going to bring a legacy. It's going to bring transformation to the future. And some of you today need to come to a point where you're taking actions, bearing fruit worthy of repentance, and trusting that it has nothing to do with your salvation. Your salvation is taken care of. And because of that, that's why we repent, because we owe it all to Jesus. And I want to do everything I can to please him. I don't care what anyone else thinks around me. I'm going to make mistakes, but at the end of the day, I'm always willing to admit, yeah, I screwed up. And God, come heal me. Help me be better. And that's what God's looking for, are people that will submit and say, yeah, I'm screwed up. He didn't come for the healthy, for the righteous. He came for the sick and for the sinful. So I'll always admit that, yes. You came for me, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.